It's intermission time. It's great to get off to the movies. I wanted to get started on a topic I actually saw that you, I think, did a TikTok on, which is essentially first date going to the movies. And I want to know what is your movie of choice for a first date? Um. Oh goodness gracious! At the theater or just like at home? Is it a different answer? I I guess so. I guess it depends on what's playing in the area or or like what's playing when. That's at the theater. I don't know. I'm breaking down your question like way too hard. I'm like, oh god. Personally, in my experience, I feel like if I'm home. And I, I've had first dates where I show before sunrise, which is... Okay, so you're going the romantic route. Because in your TikTok I saw, I'm pretty sure you put a horror movie, and I was going to ask, was that to be funny, or do you genuinely think your dates want to watch a horror? Because then you get close, cuddly. Yeah, you know what? Truth be told, it depends on who I'm having the date with. If I feel them out and I'm like, they're a before sunrise type of person, we're going to do that. You know, Link later is going to carry us all the way to... You know, and if the, the date the goes night. well, the next date is the next movie. And yeah, the next... potential. And then, like, when we get to before midnight, we're like realizing this wasn't correct, uh, and like we shouldn't be. You know, this is this is love. Or it, yeah, or it's a great match. Yeah, I yours is the too. pessimistic. Match. I am a little bit pessimistic. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That might be all the, a lot of the really disturbing movies I watched. A lot of I watch a lot of really crazy movies. So that's where that TikTok came from. Where I was like, well. Maybe a first date movie could be Funny Games by Michael Haneke. You guys can really push the limits, see what happens there on the first date. Break the break the walls down. What, I feel like that's extreme. What do you think would be a movie that if someone took you on a date and they played it, you'd be like, get me out of here? I would have to say The Blind Side. I don't know if I can <laughs> handle it. I don't know. That is a perfect and timely answer. I was gonna say uh, topical. Absolutely. I I don't know. If Especially I can... like this year, being like, let's watch The Blind Side. Yeah, I'd be like, whoa. I don't know about all that. I I gotta go. The sensibilities of that uh, pick are pretty obscene, and I don't think I can handle the date to the end of the evening. And then their second movie pick is like another white savior movie. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm out. I just you know, I I don't need this. You know. <laughs> I'd rather watch something like Funny Games than, you know, a, a white savior movie. Uh, I mean, I just don't like, I never like The Blind Side. So that's something that just always stays rent free in my head. Um, I will say, I always think Titanic would be a great first date movie, but that's three hours and 14 minutes of your night that, yeah. you know, and everybody's already seen it. I actually grew up having it on VHS and it was too long. So it was two tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember that. So, um, if you were to do like a throwback, you could have the date and be watching it on VHS, watch part one, and then see how the night's going, a little right. intermission, right. and then maybe it's going well, part two. I, I like that a lot because, <laughs> you know, the first half, I remember right where it cuts off in the VHS tape. It's like the, the iceberg hits and then the guy, the men are in the, the hall and they're like. It's that late into the movie when it switches? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember it because I thought the movie ended when I was growing up. I'm like. I guess it's a cliffhanger. <laughs> we don't know if the ship's going to sink. And then I'm like, oh, there's another tape. Um, and then the second tape's just, you know, sad and destruction and mm -hmm. depressing. But yeah. The movie makes me cry like no other movie. So, yeah. you know, I, I maybe that's not a good date movie because I'll, I'll be crying way too much. <laughs> so I don't know. So 
I want the listener to know who you are and what you do on TikTok, Instagram. So do you want to do a little brief intro into who you are as a person? And then I want you to tell me a movie that describes your life right now. So pick a movie that is, it could just be like who you are this year or something that is resonates with an aspect of your personality, whatever you get at. Oh, God. I'm on TikTok under the name Movies with Manny. My name is Manny. And essentially, I break down movies that are streaming that more people should have attention and eyes on. And these aren't films that a lot of people really talk about. These are films that are a little underseen, under the radar, independent films, films that need attention or at least need a rejuvenation within, you know, uh, the viewers of today that are on TikTok scrolling. My life is ran by film nonstop. It's it's really, really an addiction. It's a disease. I looked it up. It is a real disease. It's called cinephilia. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's, that's not, that's a, that's fake. But at the same time, it's, it's something that's ran my whole life. So it made sense for me to make a TikTok about it right in the middle of the pandemic. I was like, it's time to do something like this, I guess. I've always had a movies with Manny YouTube channel growing up where I've just broke down the Expendables 1 and 2, Jason Statham movies, because I was obsessed with uh, action movies. Specifically those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, a lot of Jason Statham movies, the mechanic, I, like, would have the DVD of, like, the mechanic, and I'd be like, this, this is a remake of the original 70s movie, but Jason Statham is here, and he's bald, and he's amazing. Um, and, like, all the Transporters and Crank 1 and 2, I was obsessed with Jason Statham so I also write and direct short films, and that's mainly on my Instagram. Um, and I've been doing that for the last seven years. But I've been writing feature films and short film scripts for the last uh, 13 years. And I was an actor all my life. And then from the second grade on to now, I guess I still act. I've been in some films as of recently that have been pretty amazing to be a part of. Uh, Babylon, for example, is a very... Yeah, we'll get into that. Oh, God. Okay. Have I you just... thought of a movie that describes your life? Babylon? Well, honestly, I feel like... You're giving Margot Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, a lot of people say that, and that's okay. I'm, I'm Margot Robbie in the big short when she's in the tub. That's me. Um, just explaining math and numbers and mm -hmm. stocks. Um, no, I would say, honestly, the film that has just been percolating in my brain as in like this is 2023 to me it's been peter bogdanovich's the last picture show okay that's just good. and why there is something about that i'm from ohio and i'm from a town called twinsburg we have the largest gathering of twins in the world uh at the <laughs> twins days festival i'm not making this up i thought this was a joke no it is not a joke <laughs> i wish it was a joke because uh, I grew up looking at twins every day, and I'm just like, this is, this is disturbing. I, 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 de I developed a fear. It sounds like a horror movie. It is. You know, walking around my high school, there's twins and, and You're triplets. kidding me. No, no. Twinsburg, Ohio. We're in Summit County. This is fake. Uh, you could fact check it. If there's a fact checker. But it's still middle America suburbia, even though it is kind of like near the East Coast. And Last Picture Show truly describes America and the dying you know, I think art of what it's like to live in a small town. Mm -hmm. And that's just something that's always in my head at all times. I've lived out here for five years, but my heart still is in, you know, a small suburbia town, young people navigating the world. I'm 25. Something that just really, really resonates with me. And especially since Peter Bogdanovich passed away last January, I just been 
enamored with this film. I've seen it um, five times this year, I think. Wow, so you're a big rewatcher. Yeah, my friends call me the rewatch king because I just just on loop. I, I love that. Watch movies way too many times. Okay, now you need to tell me about how you got on to Babylon and that like a little snippet from that experience. Well, it was a extraordinary experience in my life because I just I I didn't act in the three years that I was living here. For my first three years, I didn't want to join any of the casting things or whatever, just because I wanted to marinate. I got my casting networks thing, like account all set up. And then I just saw this was up on there. It was a 1920s Hollywood movie by our Oscar winning director. I'm like, oh, that's Babylon. I know what it is. I'll submit because um, I think I could fit the bill because I, I just, I don't know. I got a weird look to me. And I feel like 1920s, that sounds right. And then I just, you know, did the audition process, submission process. And I was just uh, cast for three days. But then when I got there, they bumped me up in the scene that I was in, um, which is the first day of sound sequence, which is I I've been told by a lot of people it's the funniest sequence of the film and one of the best parts of the film, which makes my heart full because um, I have a very specific sneeze in the in the whole sequence, which um, kind I'm of, pretty sure that's what you're on your IMDb. I think it refers to you as the sneezing. something. It does. Yes. Yeah. And. <laughs> It's really funny because I remember they told me I was going to do that. So I just purposely was snorting like paprika. Uh, But I was trying to get myself to like full blown just sneeze at all times. Just to see how I sneezed. Mm Because this is a big deal to be on that film. And for me Mm -hmm. and to be in the world. And Linus who shot La La Land and he just got off of No Time to Die was there. Rolling around with his camera. That dude was treating the camera like a toy. It was amazing. And Damien had his storyboards up on set um, for the whole sequence. And Margot was there and, and PJ Byron, who I do the scene with. Um, Jeff Garland and, and Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers is in the scene. So it's it was a really, really surreal three days um, that, that really did change my life. Oh, yeah. Um, just small amount. It just made me kind of just have a heart full of the, the magic that can be made with you know, a really big budget film like that. And I just kind of like maningled my way in there somehow, some way. And uh, I don't know, it still doesn't really make any sense. And the lead character's name is Manny in the movie. I just, I don't know. Destiny. Yeah, yeah. I was like watching, I'm like, oh, this, this could have been more on the nose for me, but you know, I'm here. So and I, I love Babylon. I know uh, that I was just reading a thread on Twitter about like someone saying, what's a movie that didn't get the... Uh, recognition it deserved and Babylon really did not get a lot of love when it came out it's interesting because it's such a hard R movie and it came out during Christmas last year and it's three hours and I mean the odds were kind of stacked with it and against it 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 just kind of boggles my mind that uh and I know there's a lot of talk about maybe the marketing was bad I mean I kind of realized as soon as it was not maybe doing well at the box office. You stop telling people you're in it. No, <laughs> I was I was urging everybody. I'm like, listen, you got to see this thing in a theater. Like this movie I'm, depends on me. Yeah, listen, it's me. I I'm the sneeze an hour seventeen in. You got to see it for that. No, um, I I knew that it was gonna be more special if it had this like cult resurgence or reappreciation under the surface of everything else that's going on. And it'll, I guarantee it'll stand the next like decade or so. And people will be just reevaluating, rediscovering it and, and re falling in love with it. Uh, Cause that's a pretty, pretty insane movie. 
Okay, now I want to ask you, if you were to dream up your perfect movie, who would be in it? Who would be directing it? Who would be writing it? Give me kind of all the nitty gritty in this hypothetical movie of yours. Oh, good Lord. Would it be shot on film? Is it digital? Okay, okay, let's see. I would say first right out the gate, if there's anybody that's going to direct, I guess, the movie of my dreams, it's Nicholas Winding Refn, the man, my twin, uh, my Danish twin. I love this guy so much. I've loved him for the last, you know, 10 years, 13 years. Um, and because he, he just creates colors like cotton candy. And I'm obsessed with the music, the style, the grace, the, the grace, excuse me, the audaciousness. Um, and then I think we would need to absolutely shoot it on like the grittiest, nastiest, grainiest film possible. <laughs> Uh, that just sounds correct, and there's a lot of static in there, and you, you're, like, watching it. You're like, is this correct? I don't know, but I kind of like it because the colors are pretty. Who's uh, in it? Um, I would say, you know, oh, God. I would say Oscar Isaac because why not? I mean, that guy. It's great to look at. And I was going to say, like, I could just watch that dude all day. Mm-hmm. And he's got perfect eyebrows, perfect hairstyles in every film. Yeah. And then opposite him, let's just go, you know, L Fanning and Dakota Fanning. Oh, both. I want both. Yeah. Okay. I feel like. The, Are they playing sisters? They're like, yeah, they're like long lost sisters. That okay. Just like finally like brought together, like their 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 lives apart brought together again. I don't know where this is going. Do you have um, anyone in the cast that is not currently, or who would you think of to be in it that's not currently an actor, but is doing their first time acting? Oh, goodness gracious. That's so hard. Like an athlete or um, a public figure. I would, you know, truth be told, rest to rest in peace to Billy Mays. But I would love to have seen him in the movie. Uh-huh. I love him so much. Uh-huh. Um, Billy Mays had an energy that was pretty, pretty prolific. And it matches mine. <laughs> and I just really want to see that guy in my movie. Yeah, uh, his voice. Yeah, his voice, his blue shirt, the, hi, I'm Billy Mays here. And I'm like, I need that. He's and, Dakota and Al's dad. Yeah, I think so. And he's like, he's kind of like, it's meta. Like he like does infomercials for a living and then comes home and he raises the two kids. Oh, okay, okay, like, okay. I don't know what to do with y'all. You know, and it's like, dad's dad's crazy, but we love him. Um, so, don't, I don't know. Sounds right. Sounds good to me. Sounds like a fever dream. <laughs> Now I'm going to do some rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just your opinion, unless I think you're wrong. Who is your favorite canceled actor or filmmaker? My favorite canceled actor or filmmaker? I would say James Franco. The the decisions that he has made in his career, not so hot, but in terms of where he's at now and what, what, what's been you know brought up. But... You can't deny Harry Osborne. You can't deny, I read his book, Palo Alto Stories, and then Gia Coppola made the film Palo Alto, and he plays the soccer yeah. coach in it. He's got it, and he was in Freaks and Geeks, and I grew up very much, you know, connecting to his persona on screen at all times. I thought he was ultra cool, suave. You know, Dave can't match what James has got. I'm sorry, Dave. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, James had the sauce, but he lost the sauce. If you were to marry someone based off their top four letterbox movies, what would those four movies be? They would have to have an Italian movie in there because that just makes sense to me. I'd be like, oh, you like Italian? I'm Italian. You know, a Fellini film, that'd be great. Um, so let's go like, you know, Knights of Cabiria is that movie's a masterpiece. That's taste already. I would say 
probably some sort of, you know, if the Virgin Suicides is in there, that checks out. That That's like an all-timer for me. So I'm like, okay, so they get it. Let's go with a Stan Brackage short film because now I know they're into some crazy psychedelic shit. Excuse me. I don't, I don't know. You can that. swear. Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, excuse me. I think the Stan Brackage stuff would be like, well, that's wild. They, they dig deep which I appreciate. Uh-huh. Um, and then let's go with something along the lines of daisies. Cause then I know they really also like some of the Czech new wave, like freeform stuff. And I think that just describes me as a person. Those, those, yeah, you're trying to date things. yourself. Yeah. That sounded really <laughs> narcissistic. No way. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of what people do, right? You want people to like the movies you like. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I've never found anybody that's had that top four. So but if anyone's listening, if anybody's listening, <laughs> let's let's put the four on there. And, uh, you know. Okay. Have you ever lied about watching a movie? Yes. And c- does one come to mind? Not one that's come Palo Alto. To mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, that movie's. I just love everything about it. Can't, can't describe what happens, but I love it all. Yeah, there's at least a handful of films that I've definitely lied about more than recent. It's more than just actually just the recent films that have come out. Where I'll say, yeah, I definitely, I, I love that film. It was great. Didn't see it in the theater. Didn't see it now. I can't remember off the top of my head, but especially there's been a couple times on my TikTok where I've definitely lied. And I've just, like recommended something that I thought people should definitely go see. And I loved it, but. Oh my watch. gosh. But I'm lobbying for films that, you know, I didn't see, but I know other people should see. So I should give it, you know, the enthusiasm like I saw it. Okay, okay. That, that does not happen a lot. Okay, what is a film that comes to mind when you think of the word masterpiece? Drive. What is a trope or cliche you think filmmakers should completely abandon? Drab colors in their movies. Who are three filmmakers that would be in your dream blunt rotation? John Carpenter. Lynn Ramsey, she's got some crazy stories. I already know that. And let's go with um, Harmony Corinne. That sounds right. Okay. A little scary, but you know. And then what is a go-to movie theater for you? New Beverly. Every time I go to that theater, uh, I always have a better and better experience, even with films I've seen before. Um, but then I go and see that at their theater for the first or for the first time in like a theater setting. And it just keeps one upping itself every time. I, I've seen way too many movies there. And each one has kind of replaced the, the other one. The previous one as being my favorite experience I've ever had. It's it sounds great. The quality of the film, the theater is great. Everything about it is fantastic. Do you have a favorite movie to watch in a movie theater? I would say Speed Racer. Okay. 2008. That movie hits unlike any other movie. If you got some Sour Patch Kids or some Airheads Extremes and you're, you know, watching Speed Racer in a theater and it's loud on a big screen, that is like the ultimate rush of energy. It's more, I think, palpable than a shot of Red Bull, a shot of tequila, a shot of caffeine, anything. Like, that's what you go to the movies for. And then you walk out and you're like ready to run a mile. Mm-hmm. The movie makes you run. Um, which I appreciate after you're sitting down for, you know, two hours. Yeah. You want to get up and just fly. So, yeah, Speed Racer. And I've seen it twice in okay. theaters. And it's been one of the most ex- extraordinary experiences of my life. And out of the horror movies that you enjoy, which one do you think you could survive if you were in it? The first one that came to my mind is It Follows, but that doesn't sound correct. That doesn't sound right at all. That's and, funny. And then I said the th- I was thinking the thing, but I'm like, no, nah, I'd be the first one to go. 
for sure in the thing. Yeah, let's go with it follows in the thing. Those sound like I could do both. Okay. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Okay, I'm going to list some words and adjectives, okay. and you're going to say what movie comes to mind for each one. Oh, that's I love this. This is amazing. Amazing. Okay, ready? Yeah. First one, magical. Fantasia from the 40s. Great movie. Yes. Sexy. The Neon Demon. Oh, I saw that on your letterbox. It's in your top, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I switched it this month, and I was like, that's going on there, so. Hipster. I guess Paulo, Paulo out. I was going to say, say Paulo that, Alta. But that, that, that screams Tumblr 2013 mm-hmm. hipster era, so yeah. Feet. Tarantino. <laughs> uh, let's go Kill Bill Volume 1, because she's wiggling her big toe, trying to get it to move in the car. That scene changed my life when I was young, not because I have a foot fetish. The, the big toe got you? Yeah, but I was just like, this is wild. This is just really specific, which I appreciate. Thanks, QT. <laughs> Underrated. Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which is an all-timer for me. And I recently just watched it again for the first time on VHS, and I'm like, this is the best movie ever made. Overrated. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh. Yeah, that's a hot one. Yeah, that is hot. This episode of Intermission is brought to you by Go. Columbia Pictures invites you. You shouldn't do this, Rana. To a new kind of night on the town. I think I feel something. Go! An American crime comedy written by Doug Lyman. Get ready for the year's hippest, edgiest comedy. You stole a car, shot a bouncer, had sex with two women. That will define the generation. It really didn't go as bad as it could Coming to a screen near you in the year 1999. I'm going to say some movies now, and you're going to have to give me a one-word review. Oh, great. I, okay, this is awesome. But I was afraid. Masterpiece. I don't feel that way. <laughs> 20th Century Woman. Masterpiece. So I, I won't use that again, but I have to with 20th Century Woman. I love that movie. Yes. <laughs> Past lives. Let's go crying. Old boy. Disgusting. Interstellar. Stellar. <laughs> Talk to me. Freaky. After hours. Sexy. <laughs> Climax. <laughs> Vomit. <laughs> and finally, uncut gems. Panicky. Okay. Yeah. I agree with most. I don't know. It's just a fun thing to do because it's just, I don't know where my head's at, but it's just like whatever's mm-hmm. the first. Like, it's also like what, what scene comes to you is like immediately too. Okay, so I'm going to read to you some reviews that are taken off the internet, and I want to just hear your thoughts after. Okay, great. So this one, quote, The majority of Tarantino films feel like I'm watching him jock off for two to three hours. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had me nearly falling asleep in the theater. They feel like I'm walking into a teenage boy's bedroom where a poster of a woman in a bikini hangs on the wall by Sugary Shrimp on Reddit. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Not wrong. I don't think so. I But I think that's the fun of his films. I look at him as like a Peter Pan director where, you know, he, he does, he's grown up. He's really, he's old and, and, matured into his own age now which is you know funny about once upon a time in hollywood because it does feel like somebody who is you know very indulgent in the things that they love when they were a kid but that's his whole filmography i i definitely agree with that but i don't think it's a bad thing at all i'm 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 very biased because i love overindulgence i love when filmmakers do that kind of stuff i think it's really 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 fun and intoxicating and i don't ever think of it as a negative okay so yeah 
Next, quote, The saddest scene in Up isn't the montage at the beginning of the film. It's when Carl finally opens Ellie's adventure book and sees that she's filled it with photos of their life together and the note from her encouraging him to have another adventure of his own. Dog Star died. That's the account. Crazy account name for starters. Dog Star died. Yeah. I kind of like it. I can't watch Up anymore because it made me cry, like, specifically in the opening 10. Like, I had an anxiety attack because I was like, this is why I'll never get married because what's the point? <laughs> Look at these two old lovers. So I don't remember that much from it but the opening 10 because the rest of it was just kind of a blur because I had tears in my eyes and I couldn't really – it was all glossy from the opening 10, and I, I, I hated myself at the time that I saw it. I was going through my, you know, angst era, a lot of Tumblr. So maybe Up, you know – was good for me then but i so saddest scene was opening scene then. I, I yeah i would have to say but i do think what they're describing is an extraordinary uh, moment in that film okay next quote the current film discourse and culture is a wasteland because nobody bothers to learn history context or about the craft before embarking on a career as a critic youtube essayists are particularly bad at this Consistently putting out shallow and reductive takes that a young audience then heralds as gospel by Rushmore alumni. How does that resonate with you? You know, that's that's a very, very, very specific hot topic. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, I, I absolutely agree with this person to a certain extent. Um, there's Letterboxd and YouTube and the internet has given a lot of people you know, a chance to indulge and discover and, and react to films uh, that we never have been able to before. I mean, you look at the 60s through the 90s, there's just, you know, these critics definitely, you know, out of touch real with reality. So now we're getting people that are very much in touch with reality who are talking and discussing and dissecting films. But I, I've at least noticed there definitely is a neglecting nature to a lot of people that dissect and, and try to you know talk about films in a critique way um that is neglecting of course like context the, the history of the medium cultural differences within films and, and of course just voices i mean that's what the internet is it's a narrow tube line and so naturally you're going to get just a lot of people that are, are spouting things that are opinions which is fine but you know there, there's a weight and there needs to be a, a, a difference there that needs to be taken care of in terms of, you know, the, the history of it. I, I say this only because I'm a, as a filmmaker living in LA, it's pretty rare that I meet people that are actually in love with film that are filmmakers. It's pretty rare. A lot of people that I've, exp I've met out here do not, um, that work in the industry do not have a, like very much diluted love of the medium and they go and research and do their due diligence. Mm -hmm. um, they just don't seem to be as passionate about it as me, which I'm, I'm a diehard passionate about the world history of film from all cultures and all decades. So it's hard to at least match my energy, but people don't take the time, take, you know, the discipline to, you know, fully, fully indulge themselves in, you know, film, from multiple periods and countries and times. I always say it's like a chef who doesn't eat food. Mm -hmm. It's like you can't, at least from my perspective, you can't be in the filmmaking unless, you know, you're up to speed with, you know, at least what you 
personally love. Yeah. And that's the internet. It's to each their own at every single yeah. opinion at all costs. This final, or no, second to last quote. I think people that say movies today are all blockbusters and popcorn flicks are morons who don't actually look for and likely don't in- enjoy independent movies. There's way more movies being made now than before and way more low budget too. There's always content if you look, but too many people are spoon fed by one or two sources by Samurai Jack Bauer. I would definitely say that's that sounds correct. I mean... That's the thing. Anybody can pick up a camera and and make a movie. So by that standard, so many people making movies. There's so many incredible films that are out there which are low budget or independent that don't pick up maybe distribution that can, you know, be seen by a wider group of people. Yeah. And so that narrows specific viewpoints in, let's say, Kansas or where I'm from, Cleveland, Ohio, which Mm -hmm. they actually have a specific art scene in Cleveland, which is amazing because... There's there's a Cinematech out there that you can watch really low key independent films, but there still needs to be more all across the board in the United States. And it's hard to see through all of the I, I not to say it's cluttered, but there's so many films in the landscape of the modern age of today. It's like I I don't blame anybody if they just stick to, you know, that kind of take and they're like you know, there's nothing but blockbusters being made because that's what's being shown in mainly across the United States in the theaters, mm-hmm. minus the occasional A24 film, which kind of gets its, you know, film in multiple theaters. Okay, final quote. It's perfectly fine for an actor to portray gender and sexuality that doesn't align with how they personally identify. Screaming Taco. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I would say... As long as there's respect and in a in a you know it's hard because in the medium and the art of of movies there's been so many decades where so many people have been shunned out of roles and specific um career paths that they could have because somebody else took a a acting job that maybe they should have represented, mm-hmm. considering that it's more aligned with who they are and and their experience. Having said that, I'm just open to all kinds of people playing all kind of parts. Um, there just needs to be intense respect, love, and passionate admiration from everybody involved, and a gentleness that um, you know needs to at least be addressed there. But I just think there should be more parts played by you know um, specific people who are aligned with the role or character. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I should ask you a question, right? Yeah, why not? Ask me a question. What is a movie that made you fall in love with movies? I always credit my dad to my love for film because okay. he was someone who like had us watch not only classics, but just like whatever was out in theaters. We were a big like movie going family. I love like a really like cinematic um like a Jurassic Park probably. Something yeah. like that where it just felt like you leave the theater and you're like your whole body is like I uh, I don't know you feel euphoric and yeah. even after I saw this is like a kind of a funny reference but after I saw Nope I got a similar feeling where I was like that's a movie yeah and and that's how I felt like with movies like Jurassic Park um and just like like an Indiana Jones all those types of like adventure movies yeah. make me feel like movies are magical like a tear in your eye moment yeah <laughs> that was definitely like a new hope I saw that when I was really young. For a Star Wars film, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, Star Star Wars is a great yeah example. Those, those are just, they are magical. Yeah, they have so much. And when you're young, 
and you see them for the first time and they touch you, uh, it's unlike any other art form. You're getting the sound, you're getting the visuals, you're getting so many things at once. It's such a cool feel. Like it feel same feeling as like leaving. I don't know, like in an amusement park. It's just a. It's everything. It's a body high. Absolutely. What is your favorite post digital era modern uh, Sodenberg? Oh goodness gracious! I would have to say, I really, really really loved um kimmy oh i never saw that it's a covid movie but it's like the best covid movie i've ever seen it's like not cringy it it feels like somebody made a movie during covid and it's like this is what life is this is Uh what life is like and he's a modern filmmaker that's always been able to do something like that where he's just touching on the reality of what's going on and but doing it in a very fun cinematic way yeah and I'm so caught up with Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Is Don't you think that's crazy? That's, that was his first lick, right? So the confidence that comes with doing a movie like that, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Well, I've been doing a deep dive on who he was at the time when he made it. He was 26 years old. Um, I just ordered this the screenplay with his journal entries when it was... Big fan. Yeah, I <laughs> literally, watching it on VHS is what did it, because I have it on VHS, and i never seen it on VHS, and I watched it, and it was like, this added a whole new level of connectivity to the film that I already feel so personal and so deep about, and it's such an extraordinary film, and it's so quiet, um, and it profound, and he was 26 at the time, and he was dealing with like a million, $1.1 million budget. And it just goes to show how extraordinary any story can be as long as it's done with some sort of precision and mm-hmm. fire. And there's something to be said there. And it's Cliff Martinez's first score for any movie, which I found out he was a drummer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I didn't know, I think. And then Soderbergh's like, yo, you should do the score for Sex Lies. And he was like, okay. And he did, and it's the most euphoric sounding score ever. It's so romantic and eerie. Um, that movie's got so much air to it too. That's just there's a mystery to it, and it's just profound that some twenty six year old made that movie um, and wrote it. And I don't know that that stuff drives me up the wall because I'm twenty five and I'm just like I don't know. This is, a, <laughs> this is a magic. This is like juggling spinning plates while you're singing Hakuna Matata while a Gaspar Noe movie's playing on the TV and you're blinking rapidly. Like, that's how ma- magic act that seems to me. That was a visual. How uh, how would you re- remake The Neon Demon? Because I know you like that movie, and we did talk about who it's uh, Elle Fanning. Well, that's hard because I don't know if I could ever touch that movie. Like You think it's that great? Yeah, I really do. I, I saw it at a... Uh, the first critic screening I ever went to, it was in 2016. Sorry, this is a sidebar. But the experience of seeing it is what embedded it in my brain. It's yeah. been one of the all-time best things I've ever seen. And me and my friend, I brought him. I won tickets actually on a radio show. That's how I won. Oh, fun. Yeah. I've always wanted to win tickets at a radio show. This is, yeah, that I don't win anything. I'm a loser by heart, you know, and that's okay. I smile through the pain, but... This You're one, the sneezing man. That was a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> winning opportunity. It's been downhill since. But I won radio tickets. Me and my friend went. Um, critic screening. We smoked a blunt on the way there. Probably shouldn't say that, considering I was living in Ohio at the time. But you know what? This is, you can't, you know, there's there's what? Uh, limits, limits, statue of limitations. It's fine. It's been years. Multiple people walked out, like at least 13, I remember, counting, walked out of the Neon Demon 
And there was so many reactions and stuff. And I'm just like, this is an all timer. Nobody can touch this. Not even me. Honestly, if I was to remake it, I would do it exactly the same. Huh. The glitter falling down and then the, the music and then how it opens with Elle Fanning with like the makeup on her and she's like the, the composition. It's that's that's a masterpiece of the modern age. Nobody really highlights it as such. I just am a big fan of it. Who do you think is the modern William Friedkin? Oh my god. Wow. I don't really know of anybody. Maybe Robert Eggers. Okay. He seems to have a pretty, pretty distinct, like, you know, firm, no bullshit, kind soul, but my movies are mean and green, and, you know, we're going to fight to the death to make this thing. And when you listen to him in interviews, Robert Eggers seems to have, like, a really massive weight on his shoulders mm-hmm. when he's talking about his ethic and, and his discipline with research. But also, there's a playfulness there. Would you sleep with the albino dreadlock twins from Matrix Reloaded? <laughs> First off, you could tell they're freaks. <laughs> that movie was They would have the top four letterbox of your dreams. I think so. it would be an eight. The top eight between those two. Phew. Oh, yeah. Um, sorry, I was getting a little crazy. In there. <laughs> I might need some water thinking about the albino twins from Matrix Reloaded. As long as we can go to the Zion Dance DJ Club and, and have some fun on the rocks. <laughs> I don't know. That's where the... Okay. Yeah, I know. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> would you like to see... A sequel following the gnome from the end of Don't Look Now. Um, the first, the, my first feeling was I just got goosebumps because I can't even think about that gnome without like wanting to like cry. Ugh, I'm getting choked up. That's that movie's disgusting, and that that ending is re- pre- like I can't even speak on it. Um, here's the thing: they make the gnome movie. I'm watching it because I I want to know more. Who is this gal? Why, why are they out here on the streets of Venice wrecking havoc? You know, why are they, you know, why they got a red hood? What, why do they have that little knife? I don't want to spoil it, but nobody's seen Don't Look Now. But, uh, you know, I that little freak <laughs> needs to have a movie of their own. And I'm there day one, even though it's going to be disgusting for me. Like, I'm going to I'm going to pass out. As we close out, do you have a movie slash director that you think those listening should really dive into? I have a handful. I don't know if I can talk about the handful. Or you want just one? Give me some standouts. Okay, Nicholas Rogue especially. Um, Walkabout, Don't Look Now, Eureka, Bad Timing. These are all extraordinary films that have such crazy editing styles and camera work to them that is uh, beyond what words can even ever articulate. They're just really cerebral films, and they got some crazy, crazy imagery that I always say if the attention spans of the modern day age are shot, Nick's Ro- Nick Rogue's movies will hold up because they just are cut unlike anything else. Um, and you're just like, oh my God, I can't, I, I can't keep up. And there's two other filmmakers that I, I would like to discuss. One is the work of Saijun Suzuki. He did Branded to Kill and Tokyo Drifter, The Gates of Hell. These films are so colorful and stylistic and extreme. And again, hold up to an ADHD sensibility where if you have a short attention span, you can watch these movies and you can just not really maybe find the through line of like what it's about because they're very, very disorienting and they don't really make any sense. But like it don't matter because they're a ride and I've never seen anything like these films in my life. Branded to Kill is absolutely psycho behavior that's somebody who was like i'm gonna kamikaze my career into the ground and i don't care um and that's an energy that i think more people should explore and then i'll I'll give one more and then i will 
stop because I can just keep going. And going. <laughs> I love the perspective of someone who has ADHD would enjoy. That's that's a awesome. Anyone who can resonate with you has a niche set of movies to go check out. Yeah, I like to say my TikTok is ADHD riddled movie talk um, just because I got it. And I that was weird growing up because I had severe ADHD and my parents kind of sat me down in front of the TV because they saw it was working its magic on my brain. I wouldn't be able to function or do anything else unless they sit my ass down in front of a TV and I was just sucked right in. Yeah. My friends say, like, I won't shut the hell up unless I'm watching a movie, which is true. I talk nonstop, and I'm so ecstatic and excited about everything. But if a movie's playing, I, you can't touch me. You can't yeah. talk to me. I'm a, I'm a wall. Okay, um, so who's this last director? This last director is a Russian fella named Mikhail Kalatazov, and he did I Am Cuba and The Cranes Are Flying and um, Letter Never Sent. And that's three of his biggest films. And those are the three films I've I've seen of his. But... Each of these films are shot so extraordinarily, edited so, so bombastically. <laughs> there is absolutely, and the camera work in them is so uh, beyond, again, what I can even ever articulate. The, the camera flies around at the speed of light. This guy has influenced so many people today moving a camera around. And um, the, the stories are in the editing styles of these films that range from the mid-50s to the mid-60s is when he made these three films. And they are so incredibly relevant and they feel modern, even though they're like from the 60s. Um, the sensibilities of this guy, also ADHD-inducing. They're crazy. <laughs> they're wild. I have my, actually, my final question for you is what movie do you recommend that would make someone a better person for watching it. Gaspar Noe's Enter the Void. No, um, absolutely not. Honestly, a film that comes to my mind that I think, I think it's Chunking Express by Wong Kar Wai. That film, in my opinion, is the equivalent of like a shower, like a really <laughs> hot shower of eucalyptus kind of tied to the shower nozzle. You're just like, this is refreshing. This is extraordinary. It's a cleansing. And there's something about Chunky Express that I think any person could like take in and relate to and fully, fully digest. Um, and I think it'll make them come out feeling way different. And I, I have a very, very, very strong feeling about that film. I show people it that have never seen it. That's like a specialty of mine. And I'm like, listen, Chunky Express. I think once you come out of it the other end, you will be replenished. And I think you will have a little bit of more kindness and, and soul in your heart than there was before. What about you? Do you have one? I was thinking as I was asking that question, I'm trying to think of a movie that has a lot of empathy. Because I feel like empathy is something that I think people need more of. And, and leaving a movie, often you're put in someone else's shoes. And yeah. so you have to... It's Watching a movie often is an act of empathy because you're having to be someone else for a moment and have yeah. someone else's perspective. This is like so on the nose, but uh, Pursuit of Happiness with uh, Will Smith. Mm -hmm. I think I love that movie because I love San Francisco movies. I'm from the Bay, but also oh. I, I love any movie that tugs at your heartstrings yeah. and makes you have perspective. That film is powerful. Like you said, it may be a cliched 
you know, response. But that film is absolutely incredible. Yeah. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I had a really good time. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. I'm so sorry you had to deal with the uh, the ADHD <laughs> of my ADHD. Do you want to plug your TikTok or your channels? Yeah, for sure. So my TikTok is Movies of Manny, where we indulge in ADHD riddled movie talk and a whole bunch of underseen, under the radar movies. Uh, my website is moviesofmanny.com. That is where you'll find all my movies I make, all my short films. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like flying now. Um, my Instagram is Manny Leota, like Ray Leota, but I am not related to Ray. And my letterbox is Mad Man 14 with two ends and the man. And I just want to say to everybody out there, Indulge in movies. Watch watch things you never would ever watch. You know, just just you know, indulge yourself in in some territories you've never ever gone to. And I just want to say what Synagogue is doing is fantastic. I love the the material they put out day to day. It's so wholesome. It really is. It's when I see it come across my Instagram. Uh, specifically, and the images they choose, it's it's fantastic. So support synagogue at all times, and the the clothes are absolutely astounding. I have this Paris Texas tee that is absolutely <laughs> out of this world. I can go on and on. So thank you so much. Of course, of course. Thank you again. And now it's time to get lost. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us five stars in Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow our Instagram at It's Intermission Time and share with your friends. As always, Intermission is produced by Duzil Chu and Olivia Deaton, directed by Kaden Laroki, and of course, hosted by yours truly, Megan Braun. Be sure to say your prayers and visit the synagogue on all platforms. Oh,